0: Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus through these messages from our weekend worship gatherings. We are so glad you're joining us for our summer series at Vintage Church as we examine the life of Jesus through the eyes and experience of his most beloved disciple, John. We hope that you are curious and committed as we take a closer look at Jesus and reflect on what it means to live and love like Him.
1: Today's one of those days, you know, someday it's gonna come time for me to preach and y'all are gonna look out and I'm gonna be passed out on the floor. It will not be because I'm slain in the spirit. It will be because I worship so hard I passed out. And I know what's gonna happen. Jasmine will step over my lifeless body just to come up here and preach instead of me. I know that's how it will roll. That is exactly what will happen. Oh, how we doing? There's somebody in the room to say, not good, but you just don't feel like you can. Because we're in church, right? <laughs> I, somebody um, asked me, Casey Roberts asked me She said, how you doing? I said, I'm good. She said, just like Sunday good or really good? Because, you know, that's just, that's our go-to, It doesn't matter what kind of headspace we're really in or what's really going on in our lives. We have this robotic response when somebody asks us how we're doing, don't we? Come on, somebody. Can we hear some truth in the room today? How you doing? Fine. Everything's falling apart. I'm good. Because I'm just good at faking it. Because here's the reality. Life's crazy. Oh, that should have got at least 55,000 amens. Right. Life's crazy. Can't always, it was crazy before corona. Life is weird, and, and life comes at us fast. Come on. Do you ever feel like life just, life comes at us fast? It's crazy how suddenly things can shift in our lives, isn't it? How quick things can change. You ever been blindsided by life? Can we get honest in the room? Have you ever just been blindsided by life? It's not just, sometimes it's not just the things that, that you expect, it's the things that you didn't see coming. It's like in that vicious game of dodgeball when you turn and just as you do, the ball hits you right in the face. You feel like your life is an evil game of dodgeball? And life is just hurling stuff at your head faster than you can move. And when you don't see it coming, it just smashes you right in the, it's crazy how quickly life can change. I know this, for for. 20 years now, just in ministry, I've I've watched it happen. It's amazing how your day can be great and your phone ring and in the matter of a phone call, everything be different. Some of you have had those phone calls. You're going through life and you're going through your day and everything's fine you're going to work and you're about your normal routine and your phone rings and you pick it up and when you hang it up, when you hang it up, you know nothing's gonna be the same. You ever had one of those moments where just all of a sudden things came and and in a matter of an instant, you look around and be like, what just happened? That's how suddenly life can shift. We all have been experiencing that. I've just been reflecting now that we've been in in, in the coronavirus thing for like 12 years. That's what it feels like some days. I remember the day, the week that everything shut down, we had like a staff meeting that week and our executive pastor slash prophet Lyle Denton brought up this coronavirus. So I remember thinking, dude, this thing is going to be nothing. It's not going to affect our lives. Sorry, Lyle. It's so all in a matter of weeks, I mean, a matter of days. It's like overnight, everything changes. And that's a reality of life that I don't think any of us ever get used to. And if you've ever had that happen, then you get like on edge if you've had one phone call, next thing you know, you're waiting for the next phone call or the next email or the next conversation. Because some of us have not had that happen just a handful of times in our lives, but multiple times in our lives. And it seems like year after year and moment after moment, we get those unexpected phone calls or emails or have those unexpected conversations to where we're constantly living on edge, just bracing ourselves for what is next. What is next? If you've been coming to church here for very long, you've heard me say, I understand how different it is to sit in this room one Sunday to the next. That from Sunday to Sunday, what can happen in your lives, life can change in a matter of moments, much less seven days. How last Sunday, there's some people, last Sunday you sat in this room and your life looked and felt and was experiencing very different things than you experience right now. That's life. And in no place is this greater on display than in the Gospel of John? Grab your Bible, go to John chapter 14. Because by the time we get into John chapter 14, things have drastically changed for, the, for Jesus and the disciples in just a matter of days. In the, in the last week of Jesus' life, we see evidence of the reality of how quickly things can change. From What happens on on Sunday to what happens on Friday? You're talking about the space between the highest of highs and the lowest of lows can only be six days. On Sunday, that Palm Sunday, Jesus and his disciples, they're on on top of the world. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead and people are going crazy because when you bring somebody back out of the grave from four days, people think that's a big deal. And when he enters into Jerusalem riding on the back of a borrowed donkey, they're laying palm branches in front of him, a parade fit for a king. And on Sunday, everything felt fantastic. The disciples are riding that high of, man, this is it Jesus has never been more popular. We have never been in a better position than we are right now. And I believe deeply that a lot of them believe, yes, it's about time Jesus is going to take his throne. He's going to be the king that we've been waiting for to push away the Roman oppression, reestablish Israel. And Jesus is finally going to step into his fullness. So when they move into the upper room on that Thursday night to celebrate the Passover meal, They're excited. They're eating with joy and smiles on their face. But even in the matter of a meal, things drastically begin to change for the disciples. Even in the middle of the meal, Jesus Jesus makes it awkward. He gets up in the middle of the meal and he takes off his outer garment and he wraps a towel around his waist and he washes the disciples feet and that was kind of the beginning of the transition from from really fun having a great time eating that meal and then all of a sudden like Jesus is making it awkward kind of like some of our family meals you can any can most of us get through a family meal without somebody making it awkward everybody's got that one family member right that at some point at Thanksgiving ruins it all if you're like no no it's you it's you Jesus, after he washes his feet, he begins to shift, the the, the tone of the the dinner begins to drastically move. Because after he washes the disciples' feet, then he looks at his disciples and says, one of y'all is gonna betray me. One of you 12 who have been with me and watched all these things happen and experienced all the miracles that I've done, you're gonna betray me. And then he dips a piece of bread in a cup and he hands it to Judas and makes it known to everybody that Judas is going to betray him. But not only is one of you going to betray me, one of you is going to deny me. Peter, you're going to be the one. I know you think you're bold and brave, but before the end of the night, not only are you going to deny me, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to have three opportunities before daylight to declare the relationship that you and I have, but you're not even going to be able to do that to this little girl that you meet in a courtyard. And so you can imagine the tone of the meal is beginning to shift. Jesus, you, you're kind of being Debbie Downer right now, right? We were having this great meal. We just rode into town on a donkey. We got this big parade. We're getting our bellies full. And now you're coming at us with all this crazy stuff. And the tone of the whole experience begins to shift just in a, in a matter of minutes. And by the time you get to John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus can see that having said all that he had said, that so much of the disciples' demeanor has begun to shift. Look at John 14, pick up with verse one. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. We walked into this meal, we stepped into this dinner on the highest of highs, excited about life, grateful for what's going on, and just with this anticipation about what Jesus might do next. Now, somewhere in the middle of the meal, Jesus, he's washed our feet. He's told us that Judas is gonna betray him, and Judas has left, and now Peter, he's been, Peter's gonna deny Jesus? What, what, what's happening right now? And Jesus is watching the body language of the disciples begin to quickly shift from triumph to troubled, And Jesus notices it. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He would say it again in verse 27. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The reason why Jesus is having to ask them or tell them, command them to not be troubled is because he could see that trouble was starting to set in. Because see, when, when life changes suddenly, when life suddenly shifts from one thing to another, it's easy to let panic sink in. Come on, somebody when that thing that you didn't see coming all of a sudden becomes your reality, there's a level of panic that begins to set into our spirits. And can I just remind you, go back into chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus not only said, he's gonna betray me, he's gonna deny me. He also said in verse 33 of chapter 13, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. So Jesus stops the meal and says, you will betray, you will deny, and then I'm leaving, and where I'm going, you can't come. It's like, Jesus, what's happening right now? What are you talking about? And I think Jesus can see in the demeanor of the disciples that all that they're being told, all the reality that something, something, see when they would step out of the upper room, nothing would ever be the same. They walked up into the upper room to celebrate the Jewish Passover meal together, not knowing that when they would step out of the upper room, nothing would ever be the same. Because they would go straight from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would be arrested and what would unfold over the next several hours would turn their entire world upside down. In a matter of moments, life can shift. And if you're not prepared for it, if you don't know how to push back the panic, the panic will get the best of you. Come on. If you don't know how to push back the panic, When life takes that unexpected turn, if you don't know how to push back the panic, panic will win out, emotions will take control, and your life will derail. And Jesus sees this in their face. I think Jesus is reading the body language. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And the good news about our God, he never asks us to do something without telling us how. Our God never demands anything of us that He doesn't equip us to do. That's who God is. When He demands the impossible, He gives us what's necessary to make the impossible possible. Come on, testify, somebody. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And sandwiched between those two statements in verse 1 and verse 27, I think Jesus teaches or reminds the disciples of the things necessary that when panic comes, we can push it back. Look what he says. Go to verse two. John 14, two. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am going. And you know the way to the place where I am going. He says, listen, don't be troubled, because I'm going to prepare a place for you, a special place, an eternal place, a place that is going to gonna make everything that you go through now worth it in the end, that the reward will make the struggle worth it. I'm preparing a place for you. That there, that there is a place that God has prepared for his people that is bigger than and beyond this current existence. This is not it, church. This current world that we're living in, this is not our eternal home. It's just a temporary place. We may live in America, but we're citizens of the kingdom. And the heaven that he is prepared and the eternal glory for those who love him is a place that should always give us hope that everything we see is temporary i wish somebody in the room would get excited about that reality that that current struggle and the pain and all the brokenness you see it will only last for a little while i'm preparing a place for you and he says you know the way to that place and look how our old buddy Thomas responds John 14, 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to MapQuest if we don't even know where you're going? MapQuest has not existed in like 15 years. Who, MapQuest, you ever MapQuested? That is a ancient, anyway. We don't even know the way. And Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus, Thomas, I, I am the way. The pathway to the place that I'm preparing is me. I'm the way, I'm the path to the place that you long for in your heart, that eternal dwelling that is is set in your heart, I'm the pathway to it. I'm not a pathway. I am the pathway. The only way to get to the place that I'm preparing for you is through me and only me. And so when other things come along to try to convince you that there's another place and another pathway, just remember that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That it's only through me that you get to this place that I am preparing for you. And he says, if you really know me, you know the Father as well. And Philip, look how he responds in verse eight. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. That if we could, if we could just see God, that would be all we would need to push back the panic. And look how Jesus responds, verse nine. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus says, Do you still not get it? You're asking to see the Father. Do you not realize that I and the Father are one? That I am God in the flesh? That I may look human, but I'm not just human, I'm also divine. That in me you're seeing God in the flesh. You're asking to see something that's already right in front of you. But somehow you haven't gotten that yet. See, Philip would have been well versed in, in that old story about Moses, when Moses begged to see God. Y'all remember that in the Old Testament? He begs to see God. I want to see you, God. I want to see you, God. And God says, if you saw me in my fullness, like you would die, dude. You can't, you cannot take that. But i tell you what I'll do. I have my place myself in a rock and I'll let you just get just a glimpse of me. And Moses gets just a glimpse of God. And it so impacts him that it looks like he's aged years and years and years because the glory of God is is that powerful. And he's looking at Philip and like, you're getting to see something. Even those people that you admire from the Old Testament never got to see. I am God in the flesh standing before me. So if you need to see God in order to feel hope, I'm right here. And then he says in verse 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. He says, Tell you what, guys, matter of fact, whoever really truly believes in me will do the things that I've been doing and will see even greater things. Now, this is one of the most, the next couple of verses are some of the most manipulated and misunderstood verses in Scripture. He says, If you believe in me, you will continue to do what I have been doing. For the last three and a half years, you have seen what I have been doing. What I have been doing is letting people know that something different has come into the world, that the Messiah is here, that the kingdom of God has come, that I'm ushering in something new. And if you really believe in me, what you will do is keep what I have done moving. You will keep doing what I have been doing. You will keep telling people that the kingdom of God has come, that salvation is here. As a matter of fact, not only will you do it, you'll do it in a greater way than even I have because I've never traveled outside this little bitty circle. But you'll even go beyond this into other nations, into other people groups, and you'll do these great things letting even more people know about who I am. If you love me, you'll, You'll keep doing what I've been doing. You'll keep telling people about the grace and gospel that is embodied in me. In verse 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, that does not mean that you can just say, in Jesus' name, I want a Ferrari. You gotta look at it in context. He says, you will do greater things. And if you believe in me and love me and follow me, whatever you ask for in my name, for my name, to advance my name, I will resource you in ways that you can't even imagine. That whatever you need to keep doing what I have been doing will be at your disposal. I will equip you, I will empower you, and give you what you need to accomplish the mission that I've given you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, when when you're out there doing the works that I've been doing, advancing the kingdom that I came to establish, and when you need something, I'll make sure you have it. And if it's for the advancement of my kingdom, if you don't have it, you don't need it. I will resource you and equip you to advance the kingdom whose keys I'm giving to you when I leave. Verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus looks at him and he says, if you love me, keep my commands. And the good news about this is even before he says this, he gave them an insight into the very command he would expect them to keep. Go back into chapter 13, look at verse 34. Before he calls them to, to follow this command, he gives it to them a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So when Jesus, when they, when Jesus looks at them and says, If you love me, keep my commands, they don't have to guess. They don't have to go search through the Old Testament to find it. He, had just, he said, if you love me, then th- let, me, let me just give you this command, love one another. And don't love each other the way the world loves each other because the way the world loves each other is not good. It's not even really love. He says, no, love each other the way that I have loved you. The way that you've seen me love you guys is the way I want you guys to love each other. And this would be the hallmark of people who follow me. He says, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you come to church. Nope. If you give, nope. If you wear a suit on Sunday and keep butterscotch in your pocket. Now he says, this will, how people be, this will be how people know that you love me, by the way that you love each other. And I know loving each other is hard. It's so hard you won't be able to do it by yourself. So I'm gonna send you an advocate, the Holy Spirit to give you what you need so that you can attempt and fulfill that command to love each other. Because unless the Holy Spirit is working at you, you'll hate each other. You'll fight with each other. You'll work against each other. You'll be jealous of one another. But when the Holy Spirit comes into you and begins to work out all that stuff to settle your identity and understand who you are and who you are in him, then you actually have the power to love each other the way I've called you to. Verse 23, Jesus replied, Jesus replied, Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So Jesus, in response to seeing and feeling that his disciples are beginning to panic over the reality that's setting in, When they walked up into that room, everything was great. They were on top of the world. And now all of a sudden, Jesus has said some things that help them realize when they exit this room, nothing's going to be like it once was. And when things change that drastically and that suddenly, panic is a natural response. And so what Jesus is choosing to do is speak into them the things necessary to push back the panic. And that's what Jesus is doing. He says, remember, when we walk out of this room, what you're going to see unfold is going to rock your world. Because he knew they were going to have to watch him get arrested, watch him be beaten, watch him die. They were going to go through all this stuff. And so Jesus is leveraging this moment to speak the things into them that he hoped they would hold on to so that they could hold on to hope. He says, remember, when everything goes sideways, don't forget, I'm preparing a place, a place that won't have the pain and struggle and strife and frustration of this world. Keep the end in mind. There's a place that you're gonna be able to live one day where there'll be no tears and there'll be no sadness and there'll be no fear and there'll be no anxiety and there'll be no struggle. Remember that place. And also don't forget, I am the pathway to the place. That place that you want to be, the only way to get there is through me. But in the meantime, remember, you have a purpose. That you need to keep doing what I have been doing. And your purpose is to point people to the pathway so that they too can be in the place. And when you get overwhelmed and feel like that purpose is too much, I'm going to give you the power that you need to accomplish the purpose of pointing people to the pathway so they can end up in the place. Because I'm gonna give you a person, the Holy Spirit, that will not be God beside you, but will be God inside you. And will give you all the strength necessary to overcome anything that this world might throw at you. So with all that, don't be troubled. No life has gone from triumph to trouble in a matter of moments for so many of us. And panic is rising up. And I point you to the same things that Jesus spoke into the life of disciples. The place, the pathway, the purpose, the power in the person. If you hold on to those things, no matter how suddenly life shifts, you can push back the panic. And you know what's interesting about this though? I don't think a single thing Jesus said to them in this moment was new. It's not like they're hearing all this stuff for the first time. He says, remember, I'm preparing a place. Remember, remember I've told you, if you've seen me, you've seen the fire. You've heard all this before. And God woke me up. I've been trying to figure out how to say this all week. And God gave it to me at 4.34 a.m. this morning. I looked at my phone when I woke up with it. See, when panic sets in, our greatest temptation is to chase something new. When, when, when things go sideways, I need to chase something new. When everything falls apart, I need, I need a new car. I need a new relationship. I need a new job. I need, I need something new. And the reality is, when, when things go sideways, look at me, don't chase something new. Lean into what you know is true. When panic sets in, don't chase something new. Lean into what you know is true. Because the truth is, God's preparing a place for you that will be worth the struggle you're currently fighting. The pathway to that place is and only is Jesus. And you have a purpose to point people to the pathway so they too can end up in the place. And he will make available to you all the power necessary to fulfill that purpose because he's given you a person that means no matter how lonely you feel, you're never alone. He is with you and he is beside you. And so today, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be Father, I know that there are people within the sound of my voice that stepped in this room heavy-hearted, full of anxiety and fear because of the sudden shift in their lives that maybe happened a month ago, a year ago, or two hours ago. And God, I know that panic can so easily begin to set in and consume us, but today, God, We push back the panic by leaning into your promises and knowing what's true. We don't need to chase something new. We don't need anything new. We just need to be reminded of what is true and you are the way, the truth, and the life. So we lean into you today, God, and we ask you to stir in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that as we worship you this morning, that you begin to push back the panic in the lives of your people and faith begins to rise up and truth begins to overwhelm us in a way that brings back and restores joy and hope for the future. God, meet with us in this moment, speak to hearts, change lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and opportunities to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.